it's out there and it's waiting. How will you develop it and which of us will survive? This week on Schedule for Launch, join me, Zach Walsh, as I talk with Eric Faber about his game, The Last Hand. With elements of Texas of Hold'em and horror films, The Last Hand is a GMless game that will give you and your friends tons of options to build a wild horror game. It's all discussed right now on Schedule for Launch. Welcome to Schedule for Launch, a podcast to discover the projects you may have missed. This week, I am super pumped to be having, yet again, like another wonderful fucking creator here. Eric Faber, thank you so much for joining me to talk about The Last Hand. I'm really stoked about this. We've been communicating for a little bit now, so I'm glad to finally have you on to, to talk about this game. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to to share it with people. I have made another couple of games before this. Mm-hmm. And I am comfortable admitting that they are fine or fun <laughs> and bad. Uh, but this I am very proud of. It's very good, in my opinion. I think it is good. I think everybody will have a lot of fun playing it. Um, I'm proud of it a lot, so I'm happy to share it with people. Yeah, it's it's really cool. I like how you build up the, the tension in this game. We're going to be talking about that very soon. Another horror game folks you know how i feel about them at this point probably <laughs> i i i love them they're so good they are the the just some of the best games out there oh, horror one shots are such good go-tos so much fun there's not a whole lot of games that are kind of built up for long-term play so i really like how you leaned into short gaming with this one like i, th- I think it's a a very clever way to design a game thank you before we really dig into the last hand, though, can you tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Yeah, um, I'm Eric Faber. I'm a game designer in the North Woods of Wisconsin. I live in the middle of nowhere. I've been <laughs> playing games since middle school when we just had a map and a D6 during study hall. And I've been designing games since basically then because we had a map and a D6 and we're making it up as we went along. <laughs> I still have the maps from middle school uh, RPG days. Oh, um, wow. Yeah, it's, it's it's one of the cool things I hold on to. Um, but yeah, we were basically just making up games at the time. And then high school, we drifted into playing Dungeons & Dragons. But uh, I always had a, uh, a feeling that it wasn't quite my game. And... Uh, <laughs> And so I was designing games since high school, never really got anywhere with it, but um, I've been running LARPs uh, here in my hometown of 2,000 people for, well, we ran them for three solid years before COVID shut us down, and I've been running, helping run and writing for Dystopia Rising Wisconsin, which is a post-apocalyptic LARP here well it's a national branch go look up your local dystopia rising branch if you're in the united (laughs) states uh it's uh it's a post-apocalyptic long form larp so every month you show up and live in the woods for a weekend and fight things with sticks and it's a really (laughs) cool experience and a lot of fun and a great community um really really good community of people at least mine i can't talk for everyone but overall dr is a really good place so uh, i i work there 
and I've been designing small games on the side. Um, and finally here to uh, publish a game for Z- Zine Quest with The Last Hand. And uh, it's a shame because it's really gritty and broody and dark and serious. And that is not normally my vibe. I run <laughs> campy, pulpy nonsense by default. So it's really a shame that my first real game is going to be completely Stone Cold Serious. Uh, except for, I guess, a setting we can get into later is going to be a little goofy. But. <laughs> I don't think that that's a problem at all, though, because you're kind of getting to flex a muscle you don't get to use often. If you don't mind me asking, though, what's the difference creating like a scenario for a LARP versus making something like The Last Hand? A LARP is more about creating a situation that you can make players react to. Um, It's more real-time. Writing and Mm -hmm. running LARPs is a lot more like GMing, because I don't write a LARP that I hand off to players to go play by themselves. I've never done that before. I've written and run LARPs that we designed. We ran a game called Haunted Mansion, um... Okay. Uh, copyright Disney, <laughs> but we used the name uh, for 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 a while. And what we would design a game from the ground up every month. It was the same basic system of here's some cards, read the card, read the fucking card. It does what it says. And uh, otherwise, every single month there were new goals, new objectives, a new story, new characters knew everything and so every month we designed basically a whole new game from the ground up which is great Mm -hmm. if you are a game designer and really like just designing new games and like iterating on systems which is what me and my uh my my team are are huge fans of and really good at but uh yeah you're designing a like an experience and a situation that you can react to real time, you can do on the fly. When you're designing a TTRPG, you're designing a tool for players to use to create their own experience, um, which is different. And mm-hmm. I think it you use a lot of the same experience and skill set, but it yeah. is definitely creating a very, very different end product. Um, and... I uh, have never had to write rules text down. I wrote bullet points that Uh, I read out to a crowd at the beginning of the night, and then people asked me the rules. Uh, So writing a rule book is hard, and I'm bad at it. So (laughs) we're on on edition 12 or something of the rule book, and we're still making changes. But I think it's really good. I think it's very good, too. And we keep on talking about it. So let's let's do that. Let's talk about... What is The Last Hand? All right. Yeah, The Last Hand is a standalone, GM-less, zero-prep RPG. Um, it is it is a in-the-vein-of-play-to-lose horror games like Dread or Ten Candles or uh, a, a recent very, very favorite of mine, The Zone. Um, but... It is not play to lose. It is more play to survive. Because in the last hand, you can survive, but the odds are stacked against you. 
and the game facilitates a combination of warranted distrust between players and obligatory cooperation that is sort of a core of the horror genre. Um, so you can survive, but you have to work together to overcome all of the obstacles you're going to encounter. And in the end, there will probably be some, if not all, like a character or two will, will die in the epilogue because you can't die until the epilogue. Um, and there will probably be a death, so you want to make it not you. <laughs> you know what? That's totally fair, though. Like, I yeah. think the toughest things about tabletop role-playing games, especially games that are long format, is how people handle character death. Oh, yeah. Because like it's the big games, like even Call of Cthulhu, it sucks when your character dies, and maybe that's because Call of Cthulhu like punishes you by having to make a new character. But like other games where death is not necessarily expected, I'm going to use them right now, even though we're all kind of pissed. D and D five E, losing your character sucks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's just and like people you you get really attached to your character in long form campaigns. Yeah, um, even like Blades in the Dark has the mechanic where. If you overindulge your vice while reducing stress, your character can just disappear for a bit, can roll a new character, a keep bit. playing. Yeah. Or if you go to jail, <laughs> fuck off for a little bit, roll a new character, keep playing. And this character creation is very fast, and you can do that. Mm -hmm. But you get attached to your character. You're telling a story. This is the cast of main characters. I have a friend um, who loves... He loves that. He loves making new yeah. characters and doing it again. He loves that. But most people get really attached to their characters. Mm -hmm. I really really like play to lose horror games like yeah. 10 candles or the zone or dread because i my group of friends that we play rpgs every wednesday night get we're really really happy to just indulge the okay we're all fucked let's yep. just like let's tell a cool story about how we get fucked um and our experiences with that have been very positive to the point where now in our long campaigns because we play long campaigns almost all of us will have the tendency to all right my character's gonna do this kind of sketchy thing yeah and we're all gonna go along with it until it kind of gets out of hand and then oh <laughs> do we have to execute a pc because of their actions that's unfortunate and you do the out of character are you okay if we all kill your player character because it doesn't make sense for us to continue going on and they go, yes, no, that's absolutely okay. And we all go, great. Now that we're okay out of character, we're going to execute your fucking character. They're, they're, <laughs> they're a lunatic. They're doing crazy stuff. Um, yeah, we, we've gotten really into that. Um, indulge the, the vice of your yeah. character and, uh, and, don't get too attached to them. And I, I enjoy that a lot. And one-shots make it really, really easy to do that. And in the last hand, you get to kind of hold on to your character, uh, but it's a one-shot, so mm -hmm. you, you can lose it, and it's not a big deal. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of player character death. I do... I love what it can <laughs> do for a story. Yeah. I'm, I'm not out there, like, as somebody who GMs a lot, I'm not out there to kill my player characters. Because I understand that not everybody likes them, but I think it can be really compelling to a story. And I love these play-to-lose games because everybody at the table has gone, yeah, I'm probably not walking out of here. 
Yeah. So it just helps build that. And how that works in the last hand is the mechanics that help set it up. So let's talk about the last hand. Let's actually really start digging into this game because it's super fun. For fans of horror, what are some of the touchstones that they can expect from this game? All right. Okay, so I'm going to start with some of the the horror movies that I like to reference, and then mm-hmm. I'll tell you what I watched before I designed it. So I really <laughs> okay. think that this game can tell story. Any, any monster movie that you start out with sort of a hint of what is out there or there is just something out there, yeah. um, it is a great example. The game uses it with a capital I constantly to refer to the monster. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, the film or book or whatever um, by Stephen King, does a really yeah. good job of going, there. look, there's a clown, but we don't really know what it is. Um, the There's movies I've watched recently. The Ritual is a very, very good horror film. Uh, if you're not familiar, a bunch of guys go out into the mountains. The forests in the mountains are spooky. And then slowly over time, you see evidence that there is some sort of monster in these woods. And then you see like little peaks at the monster. And then you see a cult that's worshipping the monster. And then you see the monster. And that uh, kind of story is what The Last Hand tells every single time, whether you want to or not. Because the, the game actually make, like makes you tell that story there is a monster and over the course of the game you'll find out more and more about it the ritual uh apostle is a really good horror movie that kind of does that um the movie i watched then quickly wrote this game like within two weeks is bird box which is not yeah, it's not yeah, a fantastic sense. movie, but I liked it, it. It was it was good. Like it was yeah. totally good, right? It was it was a fine movie. Uh, but but yeah, I watched Bird Box and I went, man, I really like the idea of a mon of like there is a monster. We don't know what it is. We are in a safe house, and there's a bunch of people we're working together, and we don't trust each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is that is really the movie that I watched and then wrote this game. Um, and it does do a good job of telling that kind of story. The other settings that that the game has that are pre-written, um, by default, I wrote it in a Wild West setting because it uses a deck of playing cards and emulates Texas Hold'em with the mechanics. And I went, ha-ha, Texas Hold'em, the Wild West, I'm smart. <laughs> uh, so I made it a Wild West setting by default. Um, but there, there's going to be expansion settings that uh, in an add-on that uh, that's gonna have like uh, space, like a, a spaceship with full of passengers in cryo tubes and long deep space travel. Um, we're gonna have a Victorian mansion. We're gonna have a um, a dungeon, like a classic fantasy dungeon. Oh, but cool. it's the creatures that live in the dungeon, and something has come into their dungeon. I don't yet know how it's going to shake out eventually, but I'm really intrigued. <laughs> I think you can do a lot with the system. Um, I'm really intrigued by the idea of doing something more like Midsummer, where it yep. is a cult or a, a community. Maybe it's more like you just moved into a new town and it is this town or the people mm-hmm. who live in this town. Or maybe you just had new neighbors move in and it 
is your new neighbors. I think there's a lot you can do with the setting, or with with the game. A lot of different genres you can do with the game. That that I, I I'm excited to see what people do, and I'm excited to play it more because I've play tested it a lot. Yeah, uh, and we've done a lot of different stuff, but I think it can do a lot like that. So, one of the really big things about The Last Hand is that it is GMless, but it's also a horror game, and that's really tricky for some people to do. Collaboratively building a setting that emphasizes horror is hard. We'll be honest. So, what are some of the set pieces in The Last Hand that help people who may not be as experienced either with? creating worlds or creating monsters and narrating something like that. What are some of the things that help the, the typical player design and play this game? Yeah, that's a great question because GM-less games are w- one kind of weird and hard. My mm-hmm. group bounces off of a lot of GM-less games. Um, We've played a lot of them, and usually once you get the ball rolling, it's fine. Like, we're all experienced GMs, but you really need to get that ball rolling. Yeah. Um, one of the things that horror does, and one of the things I sought out to do with The Last Hand, was to make it so that you didn't have to prepare a horror game. Yeah. And that's rough, because horror as a genre <laughs> usually has a lot of mystery involved, and mystery, generally you want somebody to know what that mystery is and have it written so that you can discover it as you go. Uh, so with The Last Hand, we I, I solved a lot of those problems by having it, one, it's a GM-less game, but you kind of take turns GMing. You're still playing your characters, but each scene, one player is the dealer. The dealer deals the cards out to everybody because it uses a deck of playing cards and then decides on what the trouble for that scene is. The trouble for a scene, every scene starts with it, is just some sort of uh, impetus for conflict. It might not be uh, like a crisis, but it's going to be something weird. There Mm -hmm. is a table in the book of example trouble, so I I can just glance at something real quick you want to roll 2d6 yeah you got dice second. handy let me, let me crack these dice up and yeah i got them right here uh, that's a five we got a so five what do you got a fire starts spreading from a painting on the wall oh that yeah. would be stressful yeah so so the the scene opens basically the trouble of a fire starts spreading from a painting on the wall inherently mysterious and spooky um and it just starts causing a scene like something for your characters to react to because that's the role of a gm right the role Mm -hmm. of a gm is to make something for characters to respond to so the table we have here is full of example trouble uh for your first scene but as you tell the story situations are going to change and you're all going to just have to work together and come up with new trouble that fits your story as you go after the dealer decides trouble then the following the the gimmick that I've created that kind of follows <laughs> Texas Hold'em, uh, the next player to the to in in order decides a blind in Texas Hold'em. If you don't know, a blind is like the first bet to add a add a a pool to that you're actually gambling on. So the mm-hmm. blind, the first blind in the last hand, modifies or twists the the initial trouble. So in our table here. You can reference down below. Uh, 
number five, what's our, our first blind? Okay, number five is the painting has burns only on the eyes. The fire spreads only in the shape of a cross. Yeah, so the the painting has burns only on the eyes is the first blind. And then the next player would add a, a second blind in Texas Hold'em. There's a little blind and the big blind. Here you just have two blinds. So basically as you go around the table, the scene opens with the, the dealer, who is the temporary GM of the scene, kind of gives a, a in, impetus, and then two players modify that a little bit to give it a little bit more detail, give it a little bit of a twist or a, a, a modification that that adds something to the scene or, or makes it more makes it different than what the, the dealer originally said. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once you start going, that that trouble it starts the scene and the players start you start role playing you start dealing with things you start using the cards to overcome the trouble um we can get more into the mechanic you want to get into the mechanics now let's talk the mechanics now so i feel like we'll be referring to them quite a yeah bit, so let's let's do that the way you actually overcome trouble and the way that um the 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 conflict resolution works i guess is there are uh, community cards dealt out in front of or in front of everybody in the center like a game of texas hold'em mm-hmm. and everybody has cards in their hand okay and in order to overcome the trouble basically in order to narratively deal with the problems that have arisen that those cards represent you need to play cards from your hand on top of the cards and the cards from your hand have to be greater than the value of the cards on the table what that often does, and the way that it kind of builds and releases tension in a in a, a good way, is is you'll end up not being able to actually deal with the cards that are on the table. Um, I don't know about you, but I really I like I like mechanics in games. Yes. Now I'm a huge fan of loosey goosey vibe heavy role playing games. The, the Dread and Ten Candles and The Zone. Like, I play a lot of storytelling games, and they're yeah. all great. But the r- mechanics facilitate the storytelling and aren't really something that you're engaging with to overcome obstacles. Mm-hmm. Um, in Dread, my group, one of my, one of my friends is just good at Jenga. And so in yeah. Dread, if you don't know, you have a Jenga tower, and when you res- when you overcome problems, you just pull a-, a block out of the Jenga tower. And that does a good job of building up tension, which is what you want to do in a horror game. That's the, the design behind Dread. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> if you're just pretty good at Jenga, uh, we've gotten to the point, we've played two hours of Dread, and the tower doesn't fall over. So you never yeah. actually get that relief. You never get uh, a a, a player death in dread i think the tower falling over means the character dies or is Something removed like that, somehow yeah. um so so you don't get the release of tension that is needed for a horror storytelling uh and, and the mechanic is less like you can't really bite your teeth into pull out a block of a tower no in the last hand you're actually like trying to engage with numbers there's that little bit it's not really crunchy it's not a crunchy Mm -hmm. game but you have to think about okay do i have cards that are big enough to overcome these cards you can match up pair like cards if they're the same suit 
So if you and somebody on the other side of the table have two clubs, you can pair those up. But you can't talk about what number that is. So you go, hey, we've both got clubs. Maybe we can overcome this. And then you play them both down. Yay, we did it. We overcame whatever obstacle you were dealing with in the story. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's just, it's that little bit of, of conflict resolution that I really appreciate. And what happens is you don't have the cards. Like, genuinely, you don't have the cards in your hand to deal with the cards on the table. You just can't. Yeah. And so you have to move on to the next scene. Eventually, the story kind of uh, peters out, and the dealer, their responsibility is to move on to the next scene. And then the next scene, you get more cards in the in the row. And so you end up getting just a bunch of cards representing trouble narratively you just have a bunch of overbearing threat or obstacles or problems bearing down on you and then because everybody gets dealt two cards every round there will be a turn where everything comes together you all have the cards to deal with things you can clear a bunch of the trouble out of the way you get that relief and then it starts over, and you get more trouble laid out. Yeah. And so you get that build and release of tension um, by just playing cards on top of cards. I think it works really well, too. It's really easily laid out. You can look down at the table and see your unresolved trouble. You can watch it build. Mm-hmm. So what happens to the players, then, when they can't resolve that trouble? Yeah, so um, at the end of the game, if there is any unresolved trouble, you have you have the last hand, uh, which is the the end of the game. There is an epilogue. Every character, instead of having a dealer, every character leads their epilogue, and the last hand is uh, a an, a personal scene that you play out for your character, and if there are any trouble left unresolved on the table, any cards that have not been cleared, then for each one, a character dies in the epilogue. They have to. If oh, any of wow. those cards are, if there, if there are any cards that are a joker, then they become followers of it, of the monster. Uh, okay. Whatever that means, if that means they join a cult, if that means they become infected and uh, or or become a host of some sort of creature your story will be different than everybody else's story. Mm-hmm. But uh, somebody has to die for any unresolved trouble. But you f- decide who dies based on who has the worst scoring poker hand at the end of the game. So if there are cards left face up, the unresolved trouble cards face up in the center of the table, those cards are in play the same way a Texas Hold'em game would have some mm-hmm. cards some community cards, and then you have your cards in hand, and you're trying to score the best poker hand possible. So if you got dealt, like, a 1, a 3, and a 6 of hearts over the course of the game, you kind of hold on to those, because you might get, a like, a, a straight flush. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's where that distrust comes in. In the end, if you pull up with a flush in the last hand, and somebody else had a high card, they're dead and you're not. And that's the that's that 
that moment in a movie where you go, man, we're all working together, but I don't know if I can trust you, that this game emphasizes that with the last hand epilogue. Kind of reminds me of how the end of the mist occurs. Like that's, Mm. that's the vibe that I get from there. Not not that very last scene, but when they're (laughs) leaving the convenience store. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of that. uh, When you're all kind of just, you're realizing the movie's over. There are still like three people left alive, but like you have that moment where, Oh no, only one of us is getting out. Um, mm-hmm. or maybe you did a good job and you all worked together and you cleared all the trouble. That's great. You can win this game. It isn't technically play to lose, but it's really, really hard, uh, to not have yeah. at least one person die. Uh, so everybody has that. Okay. Well, I'll just look out for myself just to be sure, which makes it even more likely that, there's going to be more people dying because if you're not all working together and it kind of plays into that human instinct that you see emphasized in the genre of horror. Mm -hmm. We've talked a lot around them. We've talked about the mechanics a little bit. Let's talk about it. How do we design it and how does that build into this game? Yeah. So it is out there is the word, the words that come up a lot. Um, There is a thing, a monster, a creature, a group, there is something that is stalking or hunting you. That is the one fact we know. Um, Every game is going to have a different creature. You design it as you go. That's another one of those aspects that makes it so you don't need to have a GM prep the story because you're going to have a really cool monster no matter what, and everybody at the table is going to discover it as you play. I had a, a... one of my favorite moments that inspired this is playing 10 candles. If you don't know 10 candles, uh, it's a game. There's candles on the table. When they go out, the scene ends. Um, but one of the big mechanics in 10 candles is at the end of a scene, everybody states a truth and that truth gets added to the story in the world and you continue moving on. Um, and so everybody contributes to the story. Everybody says one short phrase that changes the thing. And when I was playing Ten Candles, my character was a, uh, a single mother and I had a baby. And Ten Candles, there's an apocalypse. And so it's a bad time to have a baby. And it was crying, making a whole mess. And it was a bad time generally. And one of the truths that my friend said at the table, they said, the baby stops crying. And that was a big moment. That's Uh, big, yeah. And the baby wasn't there anymore. It was a bad time. But anyway, that kind of has sat with me for a while. I really liked that feeling. And what I wanted to do with it was to make it so every turn you said something about it that everybody had to sit with for a little bit and figure out what that means about the monster or the threat or the, the, the horror of the game. So we have a, I have a table in the back of the book that has a bunch of example details that you add to it, but in the game, at the end of every scene, the dealer adds a detail to it. When you start out, all we know is that it is out there. That's all we know. And then as you play, you add details 
and slowly uncover more of an idea of what it actually is. So if you want to get those dice back out again, you can roll a couple dice, roll 2d6 on this table. We can get a right. detail of it. Let's do it. Let's see. Got a two and a five. A two and a five. It reeks of smoke. So if the first detail of it is that it reeks of smoke, and we started out the first trouble of this story, we've, we've been kind of... Oh, fire. Like, was the fire from that painting. Now we're getting a little bit more detail. We still don't know. It still could be anything. And that's part of the fun. Now we're all coming together, and and it's improv, right? Yes, and. We're all just saying things that are true. We're all just adding to the story. But now we know that something spooky is happening with fire, and we know it reeks of smoke. The next scene, you add another detail. I will roll some dice here. Yeah. Maybe the next scene, I got a three and a one. It has no eyes. Now we have a little bit of an idea of what it looks like. It has no eyes. And as you go, you don't have to use the table. You can add details off the top of your head. Those are where some of the best ideas come from. That's how the baby stops crying. Mm -hmm. But as you add little details, slowly as you add more, it wants eternal silence it grows with its following you start adding more and more details to it and by the end you've actually got some sort of creature or some sort of horror in mind that you you've unleashed onto the world um and it just builds upon itself so you get a compelling horror story every time and nobody had to write a horror story to tell their friends Something I find super cool about this table, I'm looking at it. These are all things that are typically, like, obviously, typically spooky things on their own because they're weird, different. But, like, they play on a lot of those human fears. How did you come up with these prompts? These prompts were me just writing fun evocative horror stuff i was just kind of writing stuff and spitballing uh i wanted to have a variety of like visual things a variety of things that play with other senses like i wanted it is deafening i want i want you to be able to imagine a lot of different senses and how it deals with it and I also wanted to just deal with like little weird details that don't explain a lot, but when compounded, kind of give you a better idea. That's the that's the whole premise. So it was really me just spitballing a bunch of weird evocative things onto a table. And the 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 setting, the additional setting book that we've got. I wrote one setting, but there's going to be at least three others if not more it really depends on uh timeline here but um everyone's gonna have another d66 table for it details every single one's gonna have another d66 table for uh character questions to create characters so we're gonna have a lot of tables to roll on for just really spooky evocative details we've talked a lot about it and mechanics but we really haven't talked about the player characters we know that you as a player are being a little bit backhanded with your friends and that's fair and fun. 
But one of the things that makes this game so interesting, and there's there's two elements that I think are really important, and that's the fact that you're in a safe, like the safe house. I really like that establishment, but I also really like these complicated dark characters. Do you want to talk about that and why that's so important for a game like The Last Hand? Sure. Yeah, the character creation is a very quick... Um, there's no stats or anything. Obviously, the whole mechanic is just a deck of cards, but character creation is answering some questions. Um, Dread, the the one-shot uh, horror RPG, has the GM prepare a questionnaire for all of the characters, and mm. that requires a GM and preparation. Uh, so what, <laughs> I, what I did, because I hate preparation, uh, I... I kind of distilled that down to a little bit more quick and dirty you get three questions and you answer those three questions um so you create these troubled characters we have a table of character questions in the front of the book you can just roll on those or you can write your own um, and then all of the character questions go into a pile and then you deal them back out, and everybody answers three questions about their characters. Um, and those questions are leading questions that kind of force you to have things in your past or truths about you that can be used for storytelling later on. Mm-hmm. Um, we can roll on a, a character question table if you want. You want to roll Hell some yeah, D6s? I've gotten to roll so many dice lately in this, this podcast. A lot of I dice. Love it. <laughs> yeah, so many episodes recently. Okay, so we got two sixes. Two sixes? All right. The two sixes is how do you intend to convince it to let you live? Ooh. So it's just uh, like, what is the, <laughs> the mental headspace of your character who knows that it is out there? How do you intend to convince it to let you live? Oh, we'll we'll keep it a little bit vague. We're definitely going bargaining. <laughs> bargaining. Yeah. Listen, this this is a this is a game that has a lot of Texas Hold'em, a lot of like poker references. I'm going bargaining. Yeah. Make it make it. You want to roll again here? Roll again for me. Sure. Uh, six and three. A six and a three. All right. So how? Have you kept the spirit possessing you a secret? And now, suddenly there's a spirit possessing you, and nobody else knows about it. And so the idea of the character questions is to create uh, create details that you can use later on to, to prompt the story. Um, if at any point the, the narrative kind of uh, just spins out and you, you can't go anywhere, or... There is the the cards actually do have meaning. The suits and the face cards all do special things. The queen specifically brings trouble from inside the house, meaning someone or something that's been here all along or a character's past comes back to haunt them. That's a great time to bring up character uh, questions. Okay, a queen hit and that's our trouble. I guess the spirit that's possessing you comes out. We all know there's a spirit. Um, and so these character questions give you a little bit of a, an unsettling detail about your character to, to use as an impetus for role-playing. 
and then also give you a prompt to use later on so that you have things to help move the story forward. That's amazing. That is such a well, like a neat little system, especially in something that doesn't really have a whole lot of dice rolling going on or I mean the the cards each have like their own meaning and stuff like that, but they're they're intentionally broad strokes. Right. So being able to reflect back on that in the system itself is amazing. That is thank you. Thank you so much. It feels really good to hear that. Um the thing that you I think you just you just made me realize something that's coming to my head right now is that I think this game does a good job of having the mechanics, the card plays, the suits, and the faces, like what the actual cards tell you, are very open to interpretation. The players at the table can use those to tell their story. But it isn't so open because there are prompts and details and little story tidbits that the the mechanics, I mean, the game tells you you have to come up with details for it, and it tells you you have to come up with character questions. So those little details, the trouble and the blinds and all of those are where the pointedness comes from. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of loosey-goosey narrative games, uh, which I love, again, huge fan of loosey-goosey narrative games, but they do have a tendency to um, put leave too much open, and yeah. so that can a lot like kind of deer in the headlights a lot of players especially if they're Mm -hmm. not not comfortable with gming or if they're not new they're they're very new to gmless games um i i just now i'm realizing i think this game because of those pointed detail moments it does a good job of making it so if you're not an experienced storyteller if you're not really good at improv the game kind of forces you to make pointed things happen which will inherently create more interesting stories without you having to interpret a queen of hearts <laughs> too much. I also think that an advantage of the last hand is that a lot of games claim to be setting agnostic, but they work really well in a specific setting. It's like, yeah, technically you can make, you can technically run D and D in a fight, like a, a sci-fi game. Technically, you could <laughs> yeah, do it. Yeah, technically you could. They, somebody wrote the book for it. Exactly. So the thing is, like, you could do that, but that doesn't mean that it meshes well. Whereas this is really just a list of details that you can apply to a setting. There's a the truths in it are details. They're not the whole. They're not the sum. And I think that's one of the advantages of the last hand. Yeah, I think that's right. The 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 last hand thrives in a horror setting, so um, something with isolation, something with unknown characters that are out there but aren't in the party, um, and you can do a lot with that. You could make a zombie apocalypse. You could make a a Nordic woodland camping trip. Um, we played <laughs> on a on a Great Lakes tanker uh and we were we we like did a play test on the anniversary of the edmund fitzgerald and we were like oh let's lean into that vibe and uh and you you can do it i mean the the mechanics don't force you into anything because the (laughs) mechanics are having you tell a horror story and horror stories can happen anywhere um and the even these tables can 
occasionally one's going to reference a specific genre thing, but for the most part, uh, what does it, the letter it left for you say, doesn't really force you into a specific genre. No. No, definitely not. And I think that's, that's one of the things that I really like. I'm having, like, thoughts about what I could do with something like this. So, like... (laughs) Thanks. I, I, I would love, yeah. I would love to see that. I am, um, I'm gonna put out the the game's gonna be published under a Creative Commons license, and I'm gonna put out a little like uh, a logo you can slap onto a setting if you want to publish it on your itch or whatever that just says mm-hmm. like uh, for use with the last hand, and it has the little like last hand skull on it because yeah. I, I and I think I might run it like a, an itch jam for the last hand for people oh, to create settings or come up with weird things of their own. Cause I, I feel like the set, the, the system has a lot going for it and there mm-hmm. is a lot you can do with it. And I am one straight white man. So I don't have, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't have a lot. Uh, I, I can only do so much. I, yeah. I have one specific <laughs> worldview. Um, so I hope that more people will be able to. And that's part of the idea behind getting the uh, the additional settings made. I have a bunch of friends, and it's going to just be a a more uh, more perspectives, more diverse, more queer voices be able to like write settings for this game um, awesome. that can come out with the with the game on release. Yeah. Um, and then hopefully, I mean, I'm going to probably have an idea and go, oh, I'll just write that setting and release it sometime down the road. And I mm-hmm. would love to see more people doing that. That's great. What are some of the settings, though? Because you said, I think you have three right now. There's the Western right now. The core game has Wild West, Paradise, Colorado. I wrote one for the book that is space. You're on a spaceship. It's kind of leaning into Alien, mm-hmm. uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey, um, the it details give you a lot of potentially biological horror, potentially AI horror, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a f- one of my friends wrote, my longtime co-designer wrote a setting that is like a Victorian mansion. Uh, it's That's a lot of like, one, right? yeah, it's a haunted mansion one. There is uh, there is a, a named NPC. And there is things going on in this Victorian mansion. Um, my my friend and one of the editors, uh, Declan, is writing a dungeon, like a fantasy dungeon, um, mm-hmm. which is going to be a little bit of a twist and a little bit more of a unique voice. They They have a cool idea for making it so you live in a dungeon and something is coming into your dungeon and and doing stuff. Um, so I'm excited to see where that goes. I haven't I saw some notes about it and I saw the initial draft. I haven't seen where it's gone since. Um, my fun. sister and uh, a uh, an author and map cartographer, like a fantasy cartographer. she does a lot of fantasy maps. She's writing. A setting in the like the Crusades. Ooh. Yeah, so it's basically like some soldiers have conquered I forget the specific city. She's a historian, so she knows. Oh, okay. Um and so you're in a, a city after conquering it and there is something there. 
Um, so there's a lot That's of different awesome. things. Um, I don't know. I have other contributors that have voiced interest in writing it. Um, one of my friends and the other editor in the book is... I think he is going to finish writing the f- the fungi jungle. Ooh. Yeah, I don't oh. know much about it, but that prompt is really compelling to me. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's really cool. I like that concept a lot. Yeah, I'm excited for it. Eric, we've been going for over 45 minutes now. So, kind of got to get close to wrapping up. So, I got a couple questions to kind of lead us out here though all right so you've created a couple things before and a lot of people who come to to listen to the show kind of want to do their own thing they want to make their own stuff but they don't really know where to start so what advice can you give those people who want to make a game or start their own project but they don't know where to begin yeah that's great i love that question so much um i felt the same way like a year ago a little over a year ago I had that moment where I've been making games for forever. I've been running LARPs and stuff, but I kind of stumbled into that. But I yeah. I hadn't published a game, and I wanted to. And it turns out, after uh, listening to a lot of podcasts about game design from game designers, it turns out you can just put words on a page and put it <laughs> on the internet. So I, my first game, I wrote Noble Core, Fate of the Shattered Galaxy, in a fugue state while listening to Glory Hammer. If you don't know Glory Hammer... Ah, I love Glory Hammer. Great! You know Glory <laughs> Hammer. So, I do. <laughs> so, Noble Core Fate of the Shattered Galaxy is a, uh, is, a, is a RPG I wrote that is basically just going, let's play a Noble Core album. Um, and it's not good. It's British fun. British power metal is. It's, yeah. That's, those are words for it, yeah. <laughs> yeah! It's, I love how sincere noble core is it's great um but yeah so noble core wasn't good i don't think it's good but i just wrote a text document i just Mm -hmm. wrote here's some mechanics here's some flavor text i have a game it was in a google doc and i just exported it as a pdf and i put it on itch you can just do that you can just make an itch page yeah put a pdf with text on it on that itch page and you could sell it for a buck or two, or you can make it free, and people will actually download it. Um, and then, that just doing that and getting one to five downloads over the course of a month or two, kind of give gave me the drive. I had I I had that momentum because I had finished something and I put it out there, and that's really the the barrier. So finish the words. And then just put it out there. And then you can always come back to it. I then took Noble Core, and I am not a, I was not a graphic designer, designer at the time. I was not an artist. I thought every time I wanted to make visual art, I would have to pay an artist. I have a lot mm-hmm. of very, very talented artist friends, and I thought, I'm not an artist. I can't do this. Then I just opened up Affinity Publisher, which is pretty cheap, and you don't have to pay a monthly subscription and I just got public domain art assets and monkeyed around with it for a while. And I am honestly pretty proud of what Noble Gore looks like at this point. It's very flashy and fun and campy and dumb. Uh, but it isn't 
it isn't bad. Like, I feel good about what it looks like, and that's what matters is you get that experience. Yeah. Um, running Haunted Mansion the LARP, we we learned very early that iteration is the most important part of game design and really the most important part of any skill, any talent mm-hmm. um, that you're trying to cultivate. And so getting a game out into the world and then ne- then taking it and editing it and then giving it art, giving it a layout, producing a PDF that you can sell as a game. Um, it has to start somewhere. And so you have to just put something out. Uh, so that's what I would recommend is just decide that something is finished, even if it's not great and put it out into the world because you will find somebody who thinks it's cool. The internet is a, uh, a tragic place where cool <laughs> ideas go to die and you won't receive positive feedback all the time. Like really hold on to that one download or that one like yeah. on Twitter because you're not going to get a lot more, but, no. uh, but you need to just keep it up. You don't, you don't, you're not, your first thing isn't going to be a hit. Your fifth thing isn't going to be a hit, but your second thing is going to be better than your first thing. Your mm-hmm. third thing is going to be better than your second thing. And like, this is my second real tabletop RPG. This is my first real publishing of a game. I'm putting it on Kickstarter for Zine Quest. I'm going to print it in paper. Uh, I, I, I'm going to figure out what that looks like. And I don't know yeah. how I'm going to fulfill that Kickstarter. <laughs> I imagine I'm going to mail stuff to people. But uh, you just got to start. You just got to commit, and you, you, you just got to put it out there. That's mm-hmm. my advice to everybody. Just try it. It's so exciting. And, like, for you getting that part where you have to you're getting to do something with a physical version of games always very like it's very exciting oh it's so I remember, exciting yeah i remember last year we had a couple people from zine quest come on and talk about their experiences with stuff so it's it's always really fun to see and it's exciting and it's terrifying and there's so much going on you talked about holding on to that one like or something like that and i i did a game jam a while back uh like last may and i had to check real quick and i, I put up a game and somebody left like a a little ping in like my inbox and like yeah your game's stupid but it was fun and i was like yeah, yeah thanks i guess <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah the internet can be a hurtful place i'm sure i mean you're you're, you're putting a podcast on the internet you oh God, probably yeah. the first I've heard some shit <laughs> yeah you've gotten feedback the internet is not a welcoming place i uh, I think one of the problems, uh, and this is a different podcast, but <laughs> I think I think engaging with the internet as a and trying to like use it as a way to get positive feedback on things you do isn't healthy. But mm-hmm. I think it as a place to put things uh, that you're proud of is useful because eventually somebody will stumble onto it. You just gotta make things. Yeah, you just gotta you make just gotta things. Do it, and the internet is a place to put it when you're done. <laughs> <laughs> Eric, where can people find out more about you and the Last Hand, and where can they back this game? Yeah, and when can my, they back this game? 
Ah, that's a good question. Yeah, I am uh, I am Airborne Ham on most social media, so Twitter and Tumblr. Uh, I'm more on yep. Tumblr these days because long form uh, blogging is easier for my brain to wrap around. But I'm on Twitter totally uh, as Airborne Ham. I'm airborneham.itch.io is where you can get my other games. If you like Glory Hammer, you can get Noble Core. It is goofy and fun. I wouldn't say it's good, but it is goofy and fun. Um, you can back The Last Hand on Kickstarter. Uh, you can find it. The pre-launch page is live. Please sign up to notify, get notifications on launch. I would love that. I have been seeing the number go up steadily every day, and it feels very good. I'm holding on to that like every day. <laughs> um yeah, you can just search The Last Hand on Kickstarter. Um, you can find my website is airborneham.games, which will have a link to the Kickstarter. Um, same with all the social medias. Um, yeah. And it launches, the launch is the 13th of February is going to be the launch date. As always, audience, those links are going to be down in the description below. Go check out The Last Hand. I was lucky enough to get an early look at the one of the earlier builds of this game and it's really exciting it's a lot of fun i've read it through a couple times I, it also helps that i really like card games like a <laughs> lot so <laughs> but not to say that that is in any way a major part of this but it's good like this is such a cool setting agnostic game with some really cool backbone to get you started so Eric, thank you for joining me this week on the show. It was an absolute blast having you here. Thank you for having me, and thank you for all the kind words. It, 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 it's great. This is a great time. <laughs> Absolutely. And audience, thank you so much to listening to our conversation. Eric and the Last Hand, they are going to be launching very soon. That is a very cute cat. Go check <laughs> it out. Sign up for the pre-launch. And I cannot wait to see how this thing goes over. He wants dinner. <laughs> <laughs> Until next time, though, take care of yourselves, and I'll see you in the next one. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much to Eric for joining me on the show this week. The Last Hand is super cool, and I had a lot of fun reading through it. I know we talked about it a lot during the episode, but the game really is designed to tell the story that you and your friends are wanting to tell. So, how about going through and backing this game while you can? The Last Hand's going to be live on Kickstarter very soon, so keep an eye out for that. And thank you for listening, audience. If you like what you heard, then share the show with a friend. With Zine Month coming up soon, keep an ear out for some of the amazing games that we're going to be talking about in the near future. That's everything from me, though. So until next time, hope to see you out there. Bye. Bye.